So this morning, we're going to be talking about authentic generosity is the title. So we're going to dip back into our Church on Fire Act series. We spent a couple of weeks away recently looking at our vision. And so if you haven't been here the last couple of Sundays, you call yourself a member of Christchurch, check it out on the podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever else. If you don't have a phone or a computer, go to the library, listen to it, send us the fee for the hour, it'll be fine. Andy will pay for it. Um, But I found that so compelling. I don't know about the rest of you. Um, Hearing Andy and Dizzy share why we exist as a church and what we're going to be looking at going forward a little bit more. Um, And really, Andy gave me this talk months ago, which I'm grateful for because it's a bit of a zinger. So (laughs) I've been thinking about this passage for for months and how it fits in with the vision uh, because it comes straight after it. So I feel like there's a lot I could say this morning, so hopefully we'll be saying the right thing. So I might dot around between my slides. So Matthew, I might be relying on you at some stage, but hopefully we'll stick to the structure. I'd love us just to pray right at the beginning because um, I really want us to be a church that takes our vision of being a church on fire and seeing Felton come alive seriously. And I think if that's not powered by prayer, then it's all meaningless. So before we even get into this bit of scripture, let's pray. Jesus, this morning I pray that you would bless the words I bring. God, I pray that the right words would be said, God, that the message that you want me to bring will, will ring true in our ears. Anything else will fall to the floor. It won't have any significance. God, I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired, challenged to, to live out your gospel more in our lives, that Felton would be a better place because of this morning. Amen. Okay, so slide two. This is where we're at in Acts. Ananias and Sapphira. What are your first thoughts when you see those words on the screen or you hear me say those names? What are some of your thoughts? Death, death, death. Lying, good. And death, lying and death. Brilliant, yeah, so... (laughs) It's safe to say we've got a few, you know, preconceptions when we read this passage of what this looks like. And so obviously, I feel like a lot of us have our backs up against the wall when we know we're going to be talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And right at the beginning, I just want to say, I'm not going to shy away about talking about people dying because of their sin. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But also, I know that this makes us a little uncomfortable. And at the beginning of this, I'd like to say that at the end of this service, go away, and maybe you're feeling uncomfortable now, and say, God, why am I feeling uncomfortable because of this passage? Is it because of something that I am doing that makes me feel worried that this is going to happen to me? Is it because the character of God that I see in this passage is different to what I believe to be true of God? And I think go away and wrestle with that and ask those questions. And find a God who loves you. Find a God who loves you. If, like, that was the big challenge for me. Like, I felt uncomfortable. I was like, God, why is that? Why do I read this about this God in this passage that really unsettles me? But actually, the more I read Scripture, the more I said, no, this is in character of God. That he is so loving that the ways that he wants to establish the church in this world, this is, this is critical in that. And so... If you feel uncomfortable, ask those questions of God. Why, why do I feel comfortable this morning? Don't just kind of clock out now and say, oh, this is a difficult passage for me. Uh, I can't. I don't want to do that. It's also important for us to see the context of Ananias and Sapphira. We'll skip that for now. And so the passage before in Acts 4, 
gives us a lot of context for this passage and why we can apply it. So I'm just going to blitz through that really quickly, and then we'll, we'll get on with Ananias and Sapphira. So Acts 4, 32 to 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So the context of Ananias and Sapphira comes out of this community in Acts, that they shared everything, and that's the first one. Both of these words are really important when we're looking at authentic generosity and what it looks like to give as a church. So the first word, shared. A lot of the times when we kind of think about giving to church, if that's financial, if that's time, if that's anything else, if that's our talent, we think, oh, that's a real big stretch. But actually the word shared... Like, what does that mean? That's different to the word give, right? So if I share my lunch with Dizzy, there's an expectation there that I will still have something. And I think that's important for us to remember that in this early church community, they were sharing stuff, but God was not saying, be homeless. Because actually, the next point is this, that there were no needy persons. God isn't asking for you to give in a way that means that you are then in poverty, that you are then in need, because that goes against the rest of this passage. So just be like, that should be liberating enough already. That should be free. And actually, God, you know what? He's not going to ask so much of me that I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be in poverty that I will go without. Because this early church, if this is what we're aspiring to, that's still the same for us, that there will be no need in our lives. And actually, that's a massive part about us seeking authentic generosity. That God is not saying, give, give, give. God's saying, what have I given you in your hands that you can share with other people? What have I blessed you with already that you can bless other people with? But it is still more than just giving out of our abundance. Because the word need as well is different to saying what we want. And so sometimes we can give freely when we've got a lot and then still have more than enough left. But what does it look like for us to have no need but to give generously? That other word that was there, shared everything. That's not shared some things. That's not shared most things. That's shared everything. And for me, when I read that, that already there's some things I'm like, I don't want to share that. I don't want to share that. I don't want to share my sneaker collection that I'm building up pretty nicely with someone who hasn't got shoes. I don't want to share my phone contract. I don't want to give someone that. But it says they shared everything. And again, that's not that we then go without, but it's that then other people have. And that's really important for us to remember in the context of Ananias and Sapphira. And then the final thing that that passage brings us that is really helpful for Ananias and Sapphira is, for from time to time, those who had great possessions that could afford to give it away did that. This wasn't something that was happening every day. Yes, there was already a practice in place that those who owned land and houses sold some of them and gave them to the apostles. But it's not saying every day someone was selling a house and so it got to Ananias and Sapphira's turn and the disciples said, right, come on guys, sell us your house, give it give it over. That's not how the principle of sharing in the early church community looked like. People were were giving when they saw that there was need. And also within that, it says that they gave and they put it at the apostles' feet, that there's a trust there with the church leadership. 
that people aren't selling their houses and saying, oh, I see that Dave could do with this. I'm going to give it to him. But they trusted the church leaders and said, look, I'm going to give my money to you guys. Do with it what you will. And that's hard for us, isn't it, sometimes, that we think that we're the best at, with, at being generous with what we've got. Well, I've got 10 quid, and I'm going to be generous and give it to that person. But again, that string's attached, isn't it? What does it look like for us to be authentically generous and say, I've got this abundance that I don't need. I'm going to give out of that. I'm going to give more than maybe I want to give, but I'm going to give. And actually, I don't have the overall authority of where that goes, but God, I'm trusting that if I give, you will do something amazing. And again, I think that's really powerful in the context of this passage. Because actually, the early church was mirroring something that we see in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. And we see that the Israelites would tithe what they had to the temple, and then actually over time, they would get their tithe. Like They were able to then eat from their tithe. If you look at Deuteronomy 14, if you look at Deuteronomy 15, that people were giving, and that this was a practice that was in place that meant that people didn't go without. And so the, the early church is just mirroring what that used to look like. So once they used to give to the temple, and now obviously because of what Jesus did when he sacrificed himself on the cross, we are the living temple that the Holy Spirit dwells within. And so that is now for us to do that practice of giving so that people aren't within need and we can give to one another. Great. So that's the context of this. Hopefully that wasn't too long. So we're going to go straight in Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So that word also is obviously because Joseph just sold one in that last verse. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, fell down and died and great fear seized all who heard what had happened then some young men came forward wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him about three hours later his wife came in not knowing what had happened peter asked her tell me is this the price you and ananias got for the land yes she said that is the price peter said how could you conspire to test the spirit of the lord listen the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also absolute sass from Peter, isn't it? At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That verse at the end, isn't that funny? Yeah, obviously, two people died. Oh, Luke, good guy, funny guy, funny writer. Can we go back to the slide um, about holiness, raw holiness? Sweet. And so when I have been like looking and mulling over this passage, and I've already kind of talked about what I kind of wrestled with a little bit, um, this is the phrase that God has been putting on my heart that I feel is really true when we talk about why Ananias and Sapphira died, that raw holiness is powerful. You see... The early church act out and are, are living lives that are completely filled by the Holy Spirit. Pentecost comes, they're, you know, they've got like, looks like flames of fire on their head. I've never 
quite felt that full by the Holy Spirit, and it feels like my head's on fire. But raw holiness is powerful. We see that in the Old Testament as well. There's, you look at Moses before he receives the Ten Commandments. God says, you can see my back because if you see my face, you will die. And that's because the holiness of God is so powerful that anyone who sees his face will die. When Moses then comes down the mountain, they have to put a veil over his face because he is so bright that it was blinding. Like The light is just unimaginably bright. And so people can't even see Moses. That's not even God. That's because Moses has seen the back of God. People have to put a veil on so that they're not blinded. Holiness is powerful. We see as well a guy called Uzzah, I think it is. He like, touches the Ark of the Covenant. Also, the anger of the Lord burns against him. Dies, because he was irreverent, apparently. And so <laughs> there is a biblical mandate that the holiness of God is powerful, that this isn't just something to mess about with. And so this early church community that are living in the power of the Holy Spirit, that are seeing incredible things, you know, we read that Peter's shadow falls on people and they are healed. Such is the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So this isn't just like something to mess around with. The holiness of God is powerful. And we see that God is trying to build his church. You know, Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock on which I'll build my church. And in the establishing of this early church community where the integrity of it is everything, if they haven't got truth, if they haven't got authenticity, the message of the gospel could die so quickly. And what is this? This is a challenge to the integrity of the church. And for me, I think that's the reason why Ananias and Sapphira are killed, because that is such a challenge to what Jesus is trying to establish and what the Holy Spirit is trying to establish in those people. It's not about... It's, never been about how much they gave and that's obvious even when we read the passage it's about the lying you know in verse four could we go to five verse four if you can find it Matthew didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal what made you think of doing such a thing they're not disappointed that the people have given that much money they're disappointed that the people have lied to God and I think that's really important for us as well when we think about being generous. I think this is all about trust. Ultimately, who were they trusting? And it's important for the early church to be trusting God to establish his gospel ahead of themselves. Ananias and Sapphira in that moment of saying, we're going to keep some of this money. That might not even have been greedy, but you know what it says? I know what to do with this money more than you do, God. And that is outrageous really when you're trying to establish the kingdom of God mate the money I spend in my bank account week to week buy way too many kinder buenos for God's kingdom to be built if he was trusting me but like if we're going to take God seriously why are we using that money like that's the question we've got to ask ourselves am I saying God I've given you everything this month use it to establish your kingdom and actually I'm holding stuff back not even because I want it for me but I'm thinking oh I might put some of my money in being generous in this way. And I'm going against God and say, God, I know how to be generous better than you know how to be generous. The way that I use my finance is better than the way that you can use my finance. I think that's a challenge for us. Oh, I've skipped back, haven't I? Can we go to the slide about Abraham? When we talk about trust and Ananias and Sapphira not trusting God, there are lessons in the Bible that we have that teach us about trusting God, that 
teach us about giving what we have and trusting God. The story of Abraham and the establishing of the, the, the Israelite nation is so powerful in terms of how we look at trusting God. You know, God appears to Abraham in Genesis 15 and says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. This is the covenant that God brings to Abraham. He says, I will establish you that you have so many descendants that they outnumber the stars in the sky. And does Abraham trust God in that moment? No, he doesn't. Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. God tells Abraham that he's going to establish a generation through him. Descendants, this number of stars in the sky. Do Abraham... And Sarah believed that. No, because they try and fulfill that themselves. How often in my life does God give me a promise or does God speak something to me that he's going to do in my life? And instead of being patient or instead of saying, God, how, do, how are you going to establish that? I try and do that myself. And we see that in this story with Abraham and Sarah. They think, well, there's no way that God can mean that through us. So we, we better start doing something ourselves. How do we establish this plan? And so their own attempts to fulfill go horrifically wrong. If you read the, the story of Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah, as soon as Hagar becomes pregnant, she starts to despise Sarah. There's a brokenness within all of those relationships. And ultimately, Hagar and Ishmael have to run away. And then we go to Genesis 17, the next chapter. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He still doesn't get it. He thinks, oh, I'm 99. There's no chance. God, I'm 99. Sarah's 90. God, do you know the odds of us? having a child, basically it's not happening. But look, I've already got this son Ishmael, I've already done this for you, like I'm part way there. So if you just bless that, it's gonna work. And again, like how many times in our plans do we say, God, your plan, that's not gonna happen, that's ridiculous, that is impossible. But look, I've already started this little thing on the side here and if you just bless that, it's gonna be sweet, okay? It's gonna be really, really it's gonna be perfect, God, just do that. He still doesn't get it, does he? He still doesn't get it. How often is that true in our lives, that God shows us a plan and we contend against that, saying, no, God, no, I know better, I know better. But the most powerful thing about Abraham's story for me is when Isaac is born to him, when, when he has his son. In Genesis 22, we read about Abraham finally living in the plan of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Here is Abraham. He's finally seen God's plan for the kingdom of Israel come through. God has established him. Abraham's 100. 
there is 90, and here's his son. He thought that was impossible enough to begin with, but God says, no, let's do this. So Abraham can picture how this plan's going to work. And then God says, that plan, kill it. The plan that it looks like I've given you, kill it. Show to me that you trust me beyond everything else. And this, this passage always gets me because I think at the crux of it, it's us willing to say, God, I see the plan you have for my life and I will lay that down before everything else to know that you are God. You are God. And that's what's really hard for us. We do things that are not even in line with God's plan. We try and be our own bosses. But then there are also times where we're doing things we feel like we're living in God's will. We feel like we're being faithful, we're being obedient. And then God says, nah, kill it. And are we faithful enough to God to say, okay, sounds interesting that you're still gonna establish your plan that way, but okay. Because I believe that this test that God says to Abraham is, it's that, isn't it? We, we know reading the passage that God never intends for Abraham to kill Isaac. We know that that's never gonna happen because one way, Either Abraham's going to say no, so Isaac's not going to get killed. Or the other way is this way, that Abraham is obedient and God still steps in and saves Isaac. So we know that God is a good God who is not going to let Isaac get killed. But he's saying, the person who will have the generations of descendants that number the stars in the sky has got to trust me enough that he will kill his only son. He will kill the only way that he can see that plan being outworked. Because if he can do that, I know that he's faithful enough that I can build something from him. He's faithful enough to give up anything for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There you go. Two hard passages this morning. You thought you were just getting Ananias and Sapphira. Wrong. This is also a really fun passage to come to if you're under 18, isn't it? This is, like, really awesome. People dying. You better not do what you want to do. So, listen, when I was your age, I was an idiot. So, more love to you. More love to you. Thanks for being here. We love you. Oh, no. Sweet. And then another example of this is Jesus. Uh, this, is, this passage is such an encouragement to my soul. Jesus, we read the Gospels. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to live bring this incredible message to the world. He knows he's going to be killed. But also he knows it. He knows that he's going to come back to life. Like we read that. He tells the religious leaders, destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus knows that his death is not the end. And yet even him in the Garden of Gethsemane doesn't want to go through with it, does he? He's living in God's will. The man who lived more in God's will than anyone ever will, anyone ever can. And even he says, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knows he's, he's going to come back to life, and yet even he doesn't want to die. That's, isn't that true for us sometimes as well, that we, we can even see what's coming? We sang that song this morning, I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan. We can see what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in the lives of Christchurch. But there's a bit of a difficult part ahead, there's a bit of pain ahead. Are we willing to go through that and say, God, this next month's going to be really difficult, but I see what you're building. I see what you're doing in my life, and this is your will. So be it. You know, not my will, but yours. I think the church needs more people who are willing to say that today. Not my will, but yours, God. So be it. 
so be it. As you will, God, as you will. And that's my big question today. Who are you trusting? Because what we read in Abraham, his story, is a guy who finally understands how to trust God. He tries to do stuff himself. He tries to do stuff with his wife. And it goes wrong. He trusts God and it goes right. We look at Jesus, perfect role model for us. But what does he do? He's scared. He doesn't want to go through with it. But what does he say? God, I'm obedient to you. Not my will, but yours. Would you be glorified before all else? To the point of death. You know how, how lucky we are to live in a country where we are not faced with death for our faith. We are not persecuted. The most persecution most of us will probably face is maybe being laughed out. If we tell people we're a Christian, if we invite them to church, if we talk about the gospel. Jesus, knowing that he's been betrayed by one of his closest friends, how, how hard is that in itself, being one of the 12 people that he invited in, still says, not my will but yours. Knowing what's ahead of him, not only like being crucified, but the flogging, the humiliation, knowing probably that his disciples are going to run away because they're scared, betrayed by everyone else, still says, God, what's your will? Father, what's your will? Let me walk in it. Who are we trusting? Because ultimately that's going to show what we do with our money. Ananias and Sapphira ultimately didn't trust God. Ultimately didn't trust God, I believe that, because otherwise they would have given everything from that property. They wouldn't have held anything back. If you trust God that he's going to do something beautiful with what you give, you give everything, don't you? You give everything. If I trust that God's going to do something incredible, I'm not going to say, God, I'm just going to give half to that. I'm half in. I'm half in. Sounds good. Can have half of what I've got. We're truly bought into the vision that Andy and Dizzy have been selling in the last couple of weeks. We're not just going to come to stuff on a Sunday, be out the rest of the week. We want to know what that's like. We want to know what that's like. We're in. We're in. God set us on fire that Felton would be alive. That's more than a little one and a half hour thing on a Sunday. That's a shift in our lives. That's a shift. Who are we trusting? That reflects in the money that we spend as well on ourselves. I think the, the thing that we, well, certainly for me, I know I keep generalizing, but for me in my life, I can really easily become self-sufficient. And what does that look like to people who aren't Christians in my life? Does it look any different? Does it look like I need God? That's one of the, the big, you know, commercialization today has shown us that we can be self-sufficient, that we can run our own lives. And yet we read something in the Bible that is very different. The gospel at its core is that we can't be self-sufficient. We are dead. Only in Jesus can we find life. Only in Jesus can we find salvation. We are not, we are not self-sufficient. I want to break that lie over anyone this morning. But that should be liberating. Because it means that you don't have to do everything in your life. You don't have to fight as hard for everything in your life. You can give stuff to God. You can give it to him and say, God... You have not made me to be self-sufficient, and so I'm finding this really hard at the moment, and I want you to step in. I want you to step in. God, I don't want to be the boss of my own life anymore. Take my money. Take my gifts. Take my time. Do something amazing. Do something amazing. Ananias and Sapphira held back. What, what are you holding back at the moment that shows that you don't trust God?
I thought this was quite clever. Life giving. How is our giving bringing life to the, to the community of Felton? That's what I want to see as life giving. What we give, if we trust in God, that the vision that he has given Andy and Dizzy is that we're on fire, but also that Felton is alive. Our giving will do that. It will bring life to Felton. And isn't that exciting? Isn't it exciting to partner with God? I love that God doesn't need to use us, but he chooses to. That God is almighty, he's all-powerful. At his word, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is king at that time, when he chooses to. But for now, he chooses to partner with us. <laughs> as broken, as stupid, I mean, that's, I'm talking more about me than you there. As we are, God chooses to partner with us. And that means that our giving has the power to change lives. Our giving has the power to change lives. And maybe that stops me buying sneakers when I think, oh, maybe someone's life will be changed today instead of me just having another nice pair of shoes that I'm probably a bit too OCD about. Don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's giving in who you spend your time with. Is that life giving? Are you spending time with people who are dead and don't realize it? Or are you just spending your time with people who already have eternal life? And you know what, that's great. Sunday church is amazing to get fired up, to share with one another, to hold each other accountable and say, come on, let's do this. Isn't this amazing? God is awesome. That's why I love worship. God is awesome. Look at what he's doing in our lives. But if we're just in a bubble of people who are already alive, how are people who are dead in their sins going to ever find out who Jesus is? How are we giving our time? How are we giving our relationships to people in a way that they would also come to life? That's what they talk about in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus has already won the victory. Our job on earth today is about making that a present reality today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Jesus is establishing his rule and reign forever. We live in the now and the not yet. We still see people in pain. We still see that the world isn't a perfect place. And that's why we have to be generous one day, every tear will be wiped away. One day, there will be no need for people to give because Jesus will return. We'll spend eternity with him. But for now, we are partnering in that, as I've said. What does that look like? We've got these giving cards that were put out last week um, that Sam's already put, kind of paid mention to with the gift aid. I'd love us now just to respond to that and think about what is our response. Have we got... Pens? We'll bring some pens around. I'll just keep talking for a little bit while that happens. What, what is your response? Maybe, maybe you feel a bit like Ananias and Sapphira this morning, that you have an abundance, that you're giving some. You know what the other interesting thing about that passage is? It doesn't say what percentage Ananias and Sapphira gave. They could have been given 95% of what they sold that house for, but they held 5% back. They could have given 5% and held 95% back. We don't know. It doesn't say that in the text. But what, what is there that God for you this morning is saying? You're holding back. You've, you've not given everything there. And like I've said, I truly believe that God is not asking for us to give to put ourselves in poverty. That's not what the passage says. That's not what the Acts community is about. There was no need. There are no needy persons. But what are the areas today where you're saying, 
oh, God, you've made me feel really uncomfortable because I know that, that maybe I'm already giving there. Maybe I'm not giving anything there. And I also want to remind us that this is, I'm not having a go at anyone. I am definitely not nailed on at this. I find this really difficult. But I'm sure there are areas for all of us that God is just bringing up to the surface this morning. It might not be money, but it might be. It might be. And I don't want us just to deflect to always saying, oh, you can probably give more of your time and your gift to church. I'm sure there are some of us who are blessed financially and can give a bit more, and God is bringing that to us this morning as well. I want us to be real. Who are you trusting? Who is what you are generous with saying? more about yourself or God. So let's wait a little bit longer. If you've, if we've got pens, if they've gone around already. Guys, it's so efficient. Pick up that giving card, fill it in. You know what, maybe you've been at Christchurch for two weeks and you're like, oh, flipping heck, this is difficult. They're already asking for my money and my time and my talents. Classic church. Well, maybe what you need to give in the term ahead is yourself to, to get to know people. Maybe you're on the fringe at the moment and you're saying, I don't really know many people at church. Wish more people would come and talk to me. And maybe God's saying, why don't you go and talk to other people? Why don't you be the person that's building relationships this term? Remember, what we're giving as well is from time to time. It says that in the passage before Ananias and Sapphira. From time to time, people had and they came and gave. Some of what we're giving is seasonal. God has blessed you with something for a time and you are given the gift of being able to be generous with that. Maybe you've currently got a part-time job and you can give a day a week to Christchurch in some way. There are lots of ways that we need your help. So again, I don't even know what's on the card, if you can write that down anywhere. What gifts slash passions do you have? You can even say, you know, you've got a day a week. That's a gift for Christchurch. We would value that so much. Should we stand? If you're filling that in, continue to fill it in. You don't have to stand. It's fine. I'm really aware that passages and, and words like this can feel really heavy on people and can feel like you're being rebuked. And please know from my heart that is not the case. I know that the enemy this morning is going to try and put that in some people and tell you that you're not giving enough, that you're not good enough, and that's a lie in itself. I'd love you to be reminded this week that you are partnering in God with your generosity. You are partnering with God. Thankfully, in my life, I've never seen someone struck dead because of their lack of generosity and their lying to God about that. Let's not give this any weight that it doesn't need to be given, but let's also take God seriously where he needs to be taken seriously. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you, Jesus, for the great privilege it is to partner with you. Jesus, we know that as we seek to be a church on fire, God, it can, it can feel uncomfortable to have flames on our feet when it burns a little bit. God, to truly be on fire is a little bit uncomfortable because it hurts. God, would you make us a people who are, who are willing to be uncomfortable 
that we can discuss passages like this, not just at church in a message on a Sunday, but around a table having dinner with one another. We can discuss passages like this with you, what we find difficult. Maybe at the end of this sermon, you're still no closer to feeling comfortable about the fact that God struck two people dead. The big word this morning is trust, isn't it? You trust God enough to give. Jesus, I pray that we would have a revelation once more of the love that you have for us, that this wouldn't feel like we're being told off. God, I pray that we would have a revelation again of of your faithfulness in our lives. God, what you have done before, what you've done throughout our lives. God, and that would lead us into a greater sense of generosity because we have seen how you've been faithful time and time again in our lives. And we can more easily believe that God, as we step out in generosity, you will not leave us high and dry. You will not leave us on our own. You will not leave us in a bad place, but that you will meet us in that generosity. God, we're sorry for the times where we've tried to establish our own plans and walk outside of your will. God, I pray that we would walk in your will again this morning, that we would become known as a people who are obedient. Maybe this morning your response is to find someone you trust enough to be honest about that. Don't feel like you have to go through this on your own if, you're, if you feel challenged by God. But you can say, look, I feel like God is calling me to be generous in this way in the next few months. Can you hold me accountable to that? Can you just keep me in line? I feel like God has brought this up this morning. Can you just make sure, can you check in on me? Make sure I'm still being faithful to that in a month's time.